because it is the wrong response as far as the enemy of your soul is concerned. Amen. It's like he was not expecting that. He was expecting you to throw your hands up in disgust and dismay, get all anxious, fall on the floor, kicking, wailing, snot and tears and saying how terrible things are. But instead you start to glorify and magnify God. It's amazing how quickly the battle will change. Because wrong response, wrong response. He's like, wrong response. Because he expected you to crash out. Instead, your response was to give God glory and praise. So Shireen shared eight things with you. And uh, the first thing she shared with you was that he dwells. God dwells in the praises of his people. You know, there's a double access with praise. And the the first thing is this. uh, Because God says in Psalm 100 verse 4, he said, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. But then he also says, God inhabits the praise of his people so not only can we come in to his presence via praise but then God responds and then comes and he's enthroned on the praise of his people it's really significant that he says enthroned because the throne is a place of power and authority let me tell you there's an authority that comes your way when you surrender in praise and say God I don't know what to do I don't know how to fight this battle but I know you and I give you the glory. And so we see it with Jehoshaphat and others. The time of Joshua sent Judah first, which is praise. And then Simeon straight afterwards, which is thanksgiving. And so praise and thanksgiving are powerful weapons. Not only that, but Psalm 149 tells us that praise, and the high praises in particular, becomes like a sword in our hands. And the reason is, is because you are quoting the word. You are declaring the attributes of God. You are declaring His power. So you are speaking powerful words into the atmosphere. And then God comes and inhabits your praise, and is enthroned in your situation. Paul and Silas in the middle of the night in prison, they get up at 12 o'clock. Well, they didn't get up, but I mean, they, they kind of sat up. Their feet were in stocks. They were chained. They'd been beaten sitting in prison. And then 12 o'clock. Why 12 o'clock? Because David said, I will rise to give you praise at midnight. And so they knew what was in the scripture. So they sat up, you know, Paul saying to Silas, hey, it's midnight. You know, we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. We can't even lick our wounds. So we might as well just praise. So with their chains on, they start to praise God. And suddenly there's an earthquake and all their bondages come off. Listen, there's nothing more liberating to you than praise. If you feel like you're in a hard place under a lot of pressure, if you feel like the enemy's got oppression on you, if you feel like you're chained, you're bound, you know, you're restricted, like nothing is happening, the greatest thing you can do is just start to say, praise you, Lord, praise you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus. Nothing inside of you wants to do that. Everything inside of you wants to be anxious. Everything inside of you wants to be depressed. Everything inside of you wants to have a fat moan about it but you turn it around and you summons your own spirit you take charge of yourself and you lift up your hands and you just start to say God I give you the glory you are so magnificent I tell you God because then it is a sacrifice of praise is that okay because you're bringing something that is costing you everything you know it's just much easier to go with the flow and go with your flesh but when you turn it around and you just start to say god i give you the glory i give you the praise lord i honor your name you're so wonderful god is then enthroned and you come into a different place amen so it changes us changes our focus praise helps us to get our focus on god and off of ourselves and that's always a good thing because praise makes you god centered takes you away from being self-centered, from being swallowed up in the mire and the clay, the mud of your own circumstances and situations where you start wallowing in your own self-pity and you start lifting your eyes and start giving praise to God. It changes your perspective. You can't praise Him and have a depressed attitude. You can't. You can't. You can't praise Him and be anxious. Because the more you begin to praise Him, the more your mindset begins to change. And something happens inside of you, according to Isaiah. Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on Thee, O God. And the more you praise, the more your mind begins to become fixed on God. You become fixated with the God who can change and do things. 
I mean, it is the antidote. It's the answer. It's the solution. So I want to just take you a slightly different route this morning. And still, I want to just talk about praise. We need to strongly become a praise church. Why? Because it is biblical. Is that good? So we're continuing with the theme of praise. Praise ye the Lord. Woohoo! Amen. So everybody say it, praise. praise. So praise. We're going to start the well-known passage of Scripture. It's really, really good. Really good passage of Scripture. Psalm 61. What a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. And when you say Isaiah 61, all those that love the anointing should already know what Isaiah 61 says. They should already connect it to a chapter in the gospel, which is Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus quoted this passage of Scripture. So let's just get it from verse 1, where Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Everybody say, the meek. So he says to preach good news to the meek. He says to the good tidings, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison doors to them that are bound. That's really powerful, isn't it? And so when Isaiah was writing this, he first of all was writing it concerning himself because he had been anointed and he got this revelation now. God has anointed me to preach, to proclaim, to prophesy. This is the category of people that I'm to reach. Listen, the first word meek is the category. Everybody say meek is that's it. That's it there. In other words, he didn't call him to preach to the proud and to the arrogant. Called him to preach to the meek. But the thing is, suddenly, as he's writing, you know, the spirit of prophecy falls on these verses, and suddenly it's lifted And it's escalated prophetically, and it becomes a prophetic statement about the Messiah who was to come. And it's only by the Spirit that you can connect these kind of verses and put these things together. Because in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible tells us that Jesus went into the temple, asked for the scroll of Isaiah. It was a separate scroll. They didn't have Bibles like ours. And he unrolled it to the place and found it where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So sometime in Jesus' reading, the Spirit anointed him and quickened to him that this verse was not true of him. And that's why when he finished reading and handed back, he said, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now I want to tell you, listen church, are you all listening to me? is that if you would get a revelation of it, you can take the pages of your Bible and you can read Isaiah 61 from verse 1 or the whole chapter. You can take the Bible and go to Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19 and you can say, this verse now has been escalated and it has been elevated and this verse is now true of me. And today, this scripture is fulfilled in our hearing. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the good news. Amen? And so so it is passed on to you and I. So these scriptures are extremely valid and important for you and me. So if it was true for Isaiah, then prophetically and inspirationally became true of Jesus. And then prophetically inspiration became true of you and I. Then we need to fulfill this passage. So we are called to preach to the meek. We are called to bind up the brokenhearted. We are called to set at liberty the captives and the opening of the prison door to them that are bound. And what is our message? Our message is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all that mourn. I don't know if you see, you know, the meek and the mourn, you know. So we, but we'll have a look at it. But really very profound and powerful is that we're preaching the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. The day of vengeance of our God. Luke 21 verses 22. A lot of people don't realize it and they try and make it say something else. But the day of vengeance of God is not something that's still to come. The day of vengeance took place. And Luke 21, 22, Jesus was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which was the judgment then of Israel, of the whole Jewish, Judaical, Pharisaical system. And he said, Basically, in words to the effect, he said, if you receive it, this is the day of vengeance. This day is the day of vengeance. Luke 21 is parallel of Matthew 24. 
So this is the day of vengeance of our God. So he judged dead religion. But not only that, he judged sin on the cross. He judged death. He judged sickness. He judged the devil. Amen. Judged our old natures. Amen. And set us at liberty. So that was the day of vengeance. But we are given the glorious privilege of proclaiming the acceptable year of his favor. And his favor is this. God's not angry with you. God's not holding your sin to your account. God has paid the price through the blood of Jesus. Be reconciled to the God who loves you while we're in this time of favor. Amen. When we always will be. And so, so the message is our message. It's for us. But let's carry on reading. And he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to comfort all that mourn in Zion. To comfort all that mourn. Are we ready to be comforters? Something about a comforter that's so nice. It's interesting that they call a duvet now a comforter. I mean, how comforting is that duvet in winter? You know, when you get into the bed and you pull it up to here and you go, nah, up to here. And you snuggle in and especially if it's a down duvet and it just kind of falls around you, takes the shape of your body and it just goes, you're okay now. You're safe. Isn't it amazing how safe you feel in that comforter, you know? And it's like, oh, and it's like the worries of the day melt away and how wicked the boss was and that person at work. And that duvet just comforts you and goes, oh. You see, we, we kind of need to be like that with people, isn't it? But to comfort those who mourn in Zion, comfort. He says, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to appoint. I'm appointing. At you. Look at the person next to you. Say, you're appointed to this message this morning. You are appointed. You are appointed. Appointed. It is appointed unto you. Listen, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, by the anointing. When Jesus came as the Messiah, he appointed people to a certain thing. And you and I have been appointed. And listen, when we minister... People are then, and they get saved and full of the Spirit. They are appointed. So we just need to make sure that we who do the appointing are doing the right stuff. <laughs> so let's continue. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. And this is what the first thing is we give them beauty for ashes. Woo! Okay. So number one. What are we going to do? We are to have beauty for ashes. That's is so awesome. What I was supposed to do in my meditation, planning out this message, I was supposed to start at the end and work backwards. But I've already started on the beginning. So I'm going to park that there, then I'm going to jump to the end. And then I'm going to come back to this. But I've given you enough there to have a look at. Because we still be talking about what? Praise. Praise the Lord for that. Okay. So we're talking about praise, but I want you to go with me and uh, just read verse 4. And they shall build up the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. Sounds like Isaiah 58 verse 12, doesn't it? And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dresser. I mean, how blessed does that sound? You know? You shall be named the priests of the Lord. Woo! Priests of the Lord. Look at the person next to you and say, hello, priest or priestess. And you shall be called ministers of God. Speak to someone on the other side and say, I'm called a minister of God. How many of you know that the anointing of the Holy Spirit does this for us? You shall be called ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles and in their glory... Shall ye boast yourselves? Woo! In other words, all the good stuff that they eat and all the glory that they have, he says, it's going to be yours. That's a very good verse for prosperity. Is that okay? He says, for your shame, ye shall have a double portion. For your confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, and they shall possess the double. You shall have the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto you. Everybody say, I will have a double portion. And I will have everlasting joy. Woo! Instead of shame, 
What shall I have? I will have double. Instead of confusion, I'll have a double portion. And everlasting joy shall be on my head. For God says, for I, the Lord, love judgment. In other words, justice. So in the process of giving us this, he's fulfilling, he's being a just God. Amen. So the justice of God is to give us those things. I hate robbery for burnt offering, and I will direct their work in truth, and I'll make an everlasting covenant with them. Listen to this. And their seed shall be known amongst the Gentiles, and their offspring amongst the, all the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. I mean, that is so amazing. Amen? And it continues. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall be down. The years covered me and decked himself. For as the earth bringeth forth the bud, let's just leave all of those things. But I want to go back to verse 3, last part. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So when the anointed one comes and ministers, and he gives us these three things that I'm going to look at, the end result is, is that we become like trees, the planting of the Lord. And these trees are for the display, the NIV says, the display of his splendor or his glory. So let's just use the word glory. It's nicer. But glory or splendor. So the whole purpose of the trees, the planting of the Lord, is for the display of God's glory. Isn't it interesting that he says that your seed, they shall see that you are a planting of God. So these trees are to display the glory of God. It's very interesting that in the Hebrew, if you have a look at it, is that when it says that these trees are a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor, the display of His glory, that we are oaks of righteousness, it means that people will look and see that we are genuinely approved of God. Genuinely approved. Truthfully planted. In other words, the real deal. And the way that they will know it is by the fruit. Amen? And when they taste the fruit and see the fruit and eat the fruit, they'll say, you are truly, really planted of God. You are genuine and approved of God for the display of His splendor. Now, it's really interesting that if we have a look at just a couple of verses, for example, in Psalm 92, verses 12 to 14. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 92, verse 12 to 14. I want you to have a look at a couple of verses over there, and I want you just to start shouting it out. It says, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. So just give me some key words. So if you're a tree and you're a planting of the Lord, what's going to happen to you? You're going to flourish. You're going to grow like a cedar, one of the biggest trees. And then he continues, he says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. But where will you flourish? In the courts, in the presence of God. Verse 14, they shall Still bring forth in old age. Woo! Look at the person next to you and say, you're not going to get old. You're going to be more fruitful. I like this next verse. It says, they shall be fat and flourishing. Something wrong with that language. It's not politically correct. But the word fatness in the Bible means anointed. So let's change it. They shall be anointed and flourishing. Amen? So I think we should introduce in our language, how are you? I'm fat and flourishing. <laughs> we'll use Bible words. Fat and flourishing. Verse 15, to show that the Lord is upright. He's my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. So what about Jeremiah 17? Woo, Jeremiah 17 is really amazing. Turn with me to uh, Jeremiah 17. And, um, and then we're just going to mention the next verses. In Jeremiah 17, so we're talking about trees as a planting of the Lord because of the anointing. Is that okay? So because of the work of Christ, this is true of us. In chapter 17 and verse 8, he says, if you are trees, this is what's going to be true of you. Ye shall be as a tree planted where? By the waters in Christ, in his presence. And that spreadeth out her roots where? By the river, and you shall not see when heat comes. Is that good? You know, they've got a saying, if you can't stand the heat, 
get out the kitchen. So I can never stand the heat. That's why I always have to stay out of the kitchen. And then it says when the heat comes or when there's a drought, but her leaf shall be green. So that means when you're standing there and the heat comes, you can say, leave me alone. <laughs> the leaf shall be green. And you shall not be careful, or in other words, not worry in the year of drought. Neither shall you cease from yielding fruit. Woo. Come on. This is awesome stuff about the anointing. Is that okay? And we planted. So, of course, we know Psalm 1 verse 3. You know that we are like trees planted by rivers of living water. Also, we don't wither, and we're always bearing fruit. And it says, and whatever we do prospers. Come on, church. There's a glory in walking by the Spirit. Isn't that right? There's a power in living our lives in the Holy Spirit under the anointing of the Holy I mean, we need it. Is that okay? I don't know about you, but man, do I need it. And so you can read it also in Revelation 22. In Revelation 22, it also talks about the tree of life. I mean, it's, it's one tree, but it's 12 trees. But it's 12 trees, but it's one tree. And the tree of life is planted by the river of living water, clear as crystal. And it's bearing 12 kinds of fruit. In other words, every month, a different fruit. Every month. In other words, there's the fullness of the fruit. And the good thing about that tree is that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Is that awesome? And so, you know, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Now, if this is what we look like at the end of the process, a tree, the planting of the Lord, prosperous, flourishing, you know, fat and flourishing, anointed, bearing fruit, basically people seeing that from that, that we are, you know, truthfully planted, um, a genuine approved trees of God. We need to then backpedal and say, you know, from the anointing to this, what is inside? What is in between? Let's look at the process. So the first part is beauty for ashes. Now, very often these verses are used at women's conferences, especially speaking, you know, to women who are broken and, and have been through hard things. And you can do it. But listen, it's true of all of us. You know, he gives you beauty for ashes. Now, if you go and study that, beauty for ashes, it's an incredible, in the Hebrew, you actually cannot bring the meaning directly over into English. But it's an incredible, they use a fancy word which is almost like a pun. But it's more or less a play on words. Now how many of you know, and we see it in our African culture, they taught us a little bit about it once when I was in Nigeria. And the headdress that the African woman wear. And the bigger, the more elaborate, the higher standing she has in society and things like this. So the headdress becomes very important. It's not only in African cultures, other cultures as well. But you know in biblical days especially as well, they would wear headdresses. And uh, I think, you know, as you go down, it's kind of where the veil comes from uh, for the bride. But it's that adorning, you know, the tiara, the diadem, the headdress that is worn. And you also know that it's beautiful, it's ornate, it's, it's wonderfully done. But you also know that in Bible days, when people were in mourning, or when they would go into repentance, they would get sackcloth and ashes. They'd put the sackcloth down, and they would get onto ashes, and um, just cover themselves with it. Take ash and throw it on their head. And that was a, a thing of deep repentance or extreme grief, where they would throw the ash, they would take it off the fire and throw it over themselves. And God's basically saying, it's the kind of condition that you were in. It's the kind of condition you were in before I found you. You were covered in mourning and in sackcloth. You were in grief. But what I did was I picked you up and I took off the ashes and I gave you ornate headdress in its place. I crowned you with glory and honor, Psalm 8. Later on in Isaiah 61, he says, He has adorned me with robes of righteousness, and he's put the mitre, the bonnet, the headdress on my head. And you see, so, so what God is saying is by the anointing, because, you know, you're a tree, but let me show you what the process is like, is that when you started to realize your condition, and you began to mourn your condition without Christ, I want to tell you what I did, was I took off the ashes. And I gave you a beautiful, ornate headdress. So Pastor Tini Cronier was telling the story one day. He was very bold 
when he was in the anointing. Great, great man of God. Had a great impact in my life. But one day somebody said to him, Tini Grania, you bold and arrogant. He was so struck, he was so smitten, that he went and he got sackcloth. He bought that Hessian stuff and those bags and he cut it up. He clothed himself in sackcloth. He wrapped it around the course of the better. <laughs> he wrapped himself in sackcloth. He had a, a room, in the one room, he threw down. He, he sent someone to get him a bucket of ash. He threw the ash over himself. He threw the ash over his head. And he started repenting and saying, God, it's the last thing I want to be is proud. And he groveled there for a day or two days or I can't remember the length of time. And he was just saying, God, I repent. Forgive me of my pride. You know, I just thought it was confidence and boldness when I'm in you because the righteous are as bold as a lion. And one, I think if I remember right, it was on the third day, Jesus appeared to him and said to him, Tini Kronje, it's the last time I want to see you like this. He said, stand up. And he said, and in the spirit, he stood up, and in the spirit, there was a full-length dress mirror. Yeah. And Jesus said to him, turn and have a look, because this is how I see you. And when he turned and looked at himself in the mirror, instead of seeing ashes and sackcloth, he saw himself in a general's uniform. And the Lord said to him, that's how I see you. Come on, that's a good place to say. Obviously, we don't get proud and arrogant. But there are times when people misread the boldness of the anointing. But Jesus says, that's how I see you. I've given you beauty Woo. for ashes. Come on. Come on, that's a good place to say. I've given you beauty for ashes. That's why we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's why the priests wore that bonnet and on it, on top of the bonnet, where it says, holy unto the Lord. So we worship Him in the beauty of holiness. Come on, holiness makes you beautiful. Is that okay? And you are holy. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Come on, look at the person next to you and say, you are so beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, amen. You're beautiful. Second thing is, give you beauty for ashes. The second thing is, He says this, I will give you the oil of joy for mourning. It's very interesting. I'm going to... Pause there, do a sidetrack, and then come back, and we can wrap up in a few minutes. Turn with me, will you, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 1. This was Jesus introducing his kingdom, a new political order. And so he was basically giving, you know, the principles of his kingdom in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 1. Basically saying, I'm bringing a new kingdom, and if you want to be a citizen of this kingdom, this is my political what is the right word? Manifesto is the word I was thinking of. And this is the manifesto of the kingdom. And he saw the multitudes, went to the mountain. And uh, when he was set, his disciples came to him. And then Jesus says this in verse 2. He says this. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, verse 3, Blessed are the what? The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. In other words, those who recognize their own spiritual bankruptcy. Those who recognize, spiritually, I have nothing. And Jesus was saying, it's to these people that I come. It's to the mourners. It's to the meek. You know, I've been appointed to come to the meek, to preach the gospel to the meek. And here, this passage is probably the closest passage in the New Testament to Isaiah 61, those first few verses. And he's saying, I'm coming to the meek. I'm the anointed one. So the manifest of my kingdom, I'm coming to the meek. If you're rich in spirit and you don't need this kingdom stuff, bless you, carry on. I've come to the poor in spirit. That's why the gospel was to the poor, because very often the poor are the poor in spirit. And so he starts to preach to them, and he said, I want to tell you that yours is the kingdom. How many of you know you are not then poor any longer, but you will still be poor in spirit in a sense of knowing your dependence upon him? Next verse, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. In other words, those who, who realize their spiritual bankruptcy and they, are, they mourn about it, they're upset about it and sorrowful about it. It's like, God, I have nothing. I'm bankrupt before you. Oh, God, forgive me. That's kind of like a repentance thing, isn't that right? Just mourning over your dereliction. You're just mourning over the fact that I'm sinful. He says, I want you to know that you'll be comforted. How will you be comforted? By receiving the kingdom. By receiving forgiveness. By receiving the Spirit. That's how you comfort it. Come on, church. Are you listening? I don't want to stay on this too long. Verse 5, and he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I mean, now that sounds like a contradiction in terms. The meek are the ones that are the humble ones, not the proud, arrogant, pushy, stomping on everyone to get ahead and go further. He's saying the meek ones. You say, no, no, you go through the door first. No, no, you go. No, you first, you know. The meek ones. He says the meek ones are going to have the whole world. Is that okay? Come on, the meek ones. Listen, you don't have to push and shove in the kingdom and stomp on people to try and get ahead. You don't have to do all of that stuff, you know. In all your desperation for God, it doesn't have to be at the expense of somebody else. No, no, no. God says, listen, the earth is for the meek. The very people that you think wouldn't inherit the earth. The world is not for the Bill Gateses. The world, you know, I'm not saying that he's arrogant or proud. The world is for the meek ones. It says they shall inherit the earth. Woo! Jesus was the meekest man in all the world. Before him it was Moses. But then it was Jesus. So what did Jesus inherit? The whole earth. It tells us, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The meek shall inherit the earth. Come on, this is really powerful. And so, so right there, Jesus was referring to all of these things, to the providing to them. So I'll provide to you. This is how I will comfort you if you're mourning and if you're meek. I will provide for you beauty for ashes. A diadem instead of sorrow and sadness. I'll give you the oil of joy. Isn't that awesome? The oil of joy instead of that, that mourning. The oil of joy. Psalm 45 verse 7. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. Parallel verses. Where it says about Jesus. Because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. He was anointed with the oil of joy above his companions. The oil of joy. What does it say in Romans 14 verse 7? The kingdom of God is righteousness Peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So instead of mourning, instead of sorrow, you'll be comforted. And the comfort that God gives you in the process to establishing you as a tree for the display of His splendor is joy. In Psalm 23, He said, He anoints my head with oil. You see, that oil, that oil, the anointing oil was a celebrative thing. It was for celebrations. It was for, you've come to dinner. Woohoo! Let me anoint you with the oil of joy. So it's wine that gladdens the heart, but oil that makes the face to shine, says the psalmist. So, shine, Jesus, shine. Come on. <clears throat> shine, John, shine. So we, it's worse to be shining. Isn't that okay? Come on, we should be happy. I enjoyed that Sunday school, one of my favorites. I've got something in my pocket. Belongs up on my face. It's an S-M-I-L-E. S-M-I-L-E. <laughs> Look at the person next to you and say, I think it's in your pocket. <laughs> belongs, up, belongs up on your face. Come on, he gives us beauty for ashes. Woo! The oil of joy instead of mourning. The oil of joy. Woo! There's so many scriptures. There's too many for me to go into. But to save time, let me go to the third point. He says, not only the oil of joy, not only beauty for ashes, but he says the third thing. He says, the garment of praise instead of heaviness. Come on, everybody. Say Praise. It's a garment of praise. 
Now, remember, this is the antidote for the ashes. This, the joy, is the antidote for mourning. Now, come on. How many of you have ever cried so much you get tired of crying? How many of you know that you can't laugh too much? Is that okay? I mean, a lot of crying hurts a whole lot more than a lot of laughing. Is that okay? You can only cry so much, you know, until you've got no more water left in your body. You can laugh yourself, you can cry yourself into dehydration. But laughter doeth good, like a medicine. Is that all right? So we need to get to the place and realize that all of these things are an antidote too. So listen, so praise, the garment of praise, instead of a spirit of heaviness. Woo! Really interesting. But it's very interesting that right throughout the scriptures, things are put on. How many of you know when Adam and Eve sinned, God dressed them in probably lambskins. And they had clothed themselves with fig leaves, self-righteous works. God said, no, something's got to die for your sin. He was prophesying the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Is that right? We are clothed with robes of righteousness. Now, how many of you know the thing that you dress in is the thing that is seen? And how many of you know that there's appropriate dress for occasions? How many of you know you dress one way for church? Suit and tie. Otherwise, you don't go to heaven when you die. You know? Now, how many of you know you dress another way for weddings? How many of you know you dress another way for funerals? Traditionally, it would be you dress more in darker colors. So there's appropriate attire for a certain occasion. But listen, the correct attire for the Christian life, it's the correct clothing. It's the correct attire for the Christian life is a garment of praise, not the spirit of heaviness. So he says, I've given you, instead of heaviness of heart, and it's really interesting that when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he began to pray, once he'd gone further and gone further and, and was going deeper into intercession, a, a great heaviness came over him. Why? Because in intercession before the cross, he was taking on the heaviness that we felt before we knew Jesus where he took away all of our sin and our shame and everything like that. He entered into the heaviness, the guilt of sin, because whether they will admit it or not, when you were in sin, you were a captive. When you were in a sin, they're all happy to a certain extent. But there's a heaviness inside of you that is not supposed to be there because God's design is for us all to be saved. But listen, but if we Christians... That heaviness is not supposed to be there because the work of salvation has taken away the weight of our guilt and brought us into the freedom of forgiveness and the freedom of righteousness and right standing with God. So the appropriate attire for the Christian life is So listen, church. So some of the fruit, besides the miracles, some of the fruit that proves us genuine truthfully planted, genuinely approved. If you haven't got, go and see Joy. She's got plenty of oil. It's like oil of LA. Ole, 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 ole. It's funny, whenever they sing that at rugby matches, I think of oil of LA. They got the oil of LA. I've got the real oil, man. Garment of praise. He says, this shows the genuine. Come on, it's something that is worn on the outward. It's something that's visible. It's something that's noticed. It's something that's evident. Because listen, when you walk in, everybody looks at you and they're looking at how you dress, how you clothe. Is that right? Oh, that's a nice shirt. Thank you. So is it a new shirt? Yes, it's brand new. I've never worn it before. Today is the first day. Isn't that awesome? And that's how they should notice about us is when they meet us and they go like, man, you dressed up real fine, mighty fine. You really dressed up fine. You're looking good. Yeah, because it's the garment of praise. Come on, church. It's the garment of praise that God has given us. So praise is becoming of you. As a Christian, praise is becoming. Moaning, whinging, complaining is not something that's becoming of us. Amen? It certainly is not fruit. In other words, what God is trying to say is, you've got a whole lot more to praise me for than to whinge about. 
And in South Africa, we've got plenty to whinge about. But you've got much more to praise about. Is that okay? And the Bible is very clear that we don't thank Him for everything, but in everything we give thanks. In everything we give Him praise. In everything. doesn't matter what situation in, happy, sad, good, bad. We have got to get our praise on and start to manifest that which God has given us. In closing, a couple of minutes to finish, I want to just quickly go through a few things with you. Sometimes what we need to do is do something really, really, really practical. But I like what the psalmist says in Psalm 34, verses 3 to 4. David says, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You see, he says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. And so very often what we do is we wait for the situation to change for the better, then we will praise. We'd like to do that as Christians. You know, when my finances turn, I will tithe. No, no, you tithe first. You know, when that person says sorry, then I will forgive them. No, you forgive them first. No, when they tell me they love me, I will tell them I love them. No, you love them first. So you don't wait for things to get better, then start to praise. No, you start to praise. Then most times things get better. And if it doesn't, you get better. Amen. So David is saying this, I want you to magnify the Lord with me. You know, there's a feature on your laptop. I'm sure it's got it. I'm sure Windows has got it the same as Apple. You can use buttons or you can go to the magnifying glass with a plus in it. And the, the document goes, ding, ding, 125, 150, 175, and here it comes, the document. And sometimes what we need to do is to get together and say, let's magnify God together. That's what Sundays are supposed to be. Amen. You know, God did this incredible thing. You're just hitting the shift and whatever zoom button and you're just going magnify, magnify, magnify. And it's just like, I mean, God is big enough, but he, he becomes very small in our minds and in our estimation when things are tough. But we need to start getting together and start magnify. Magnify God with me. Amen. I think that we need, and it's one of the reasons why we're doing the worship interlude um, um, evenings, is because we need to get back. Charles Spurgeon says this, my happiest moments are when I'm worshiping God, really adoring the Lord Jesus Christ. In that worship, I forget the cares of the church and everything else. To me, it's the nearest approach to what will be in heaven. The garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. The psalmist wrote, and I think it was David, that grand psalm, Psalm 119, he says, seven times a day I praise you. Seven times a day. In other words, praise perfection. But, you know, sometimes maybe it's good to set times. And I want to do this. I'm going to structure it in my day. I'm going to put it into my diary. I think these times, and especially I believe we're in a time now, this is an emphasis of the Holy Spirit. I want you to really hear me on this. Okay? I know when I've heard God, and God really spoke to me to re-educate us, ourselves, on praise and worship and prayer. And so I will not stop until I hear you getting good praising. Is that okay? We're going to keep going. If you get bored with the subject and go like, we've heard this before. <laughs> what I'll do, I'll say to you, <laughs> there was a, a pastor, was, he was big at one stage, really a South American pastor, um, Juan Carlos Ortiz, powerful teacher. He preached on mashed potato love. Mashed potato love. In other words, it's not you're a potato and I'm a potato and we all love each other. We chop it up into cubes and we're a whole bunch of cubes. Now we love each other more. He says when it's mashed, God said it needs to be mashed potato love. But he was invited to preach in this big meeting, big meeting. He went up, preached powerful message. So the pastor was like, when can I get you back? When can I get you back? Gave him a date. He got back to go and preach. And while he was standing on the stage, Juan Carlos it is, um, very deep in the word, so he could do it, you know, and stood there and he said, okay, Lord, what do I teach? And he says, absolutely nothing. He says, Lord, now I've got to teach. They've invited me back. What about the offering? He says, you teach them nothing. This is what you say. So anyway, he was called up to the stage. He got up and he said, God told me to say absolutely nothing because you've done nothing about what I told you last time. And he went and sat down. So that's when I will stop. 
when you got it. But maybe what we need to do is to schedule in our diaries. If you believe it's God, and if you believe it's biblical, you can't help but not see that it's biblical. Maybe you need to put a little alarm on your phone and have a praise break instead of a coffee break. Maybe instead of a lunch break, have a Thanksgiving break. And say, I'm going to eat my sami very quickly. Or my hamburger. Or my chicken licken. Or my, who else can I advertise? McDonald's. Maybe instead of doing that, just eat it quick and then start doing a praise break. Amen? Just walk around and just start, God, I want to thank you for this job. I want to thank you for this place. Lord, I want to thank you for your great provision for me. You're such an amazing provider. God, you're so good. Lord, you're doing things that I'm not even aware of. I sleep, I go to bed, I get up in the morning, I go to work, and there are times that I'm not even conscious of you, but you're never not conscious of me. Your mind is full of thoughts for me. Thank you that you're working these things out. Lord, I prayed about them a few times, and God, I want to, Father, I praise you because you're so good. Maybe we should just do some praise breaks for a couple of weeks. Put it on your phone if you're serious. Praise breaks. This is what I felt. <clears throat> Really felt this morning, going to just name some categories, but you guys are smart enough. I want you to sit and think the highest priority in your life, the thing that you need the most to change, to shift, to move. And it might be healing, it might be finance, it might be promotion, it might be job, it might be opportunity, it might be whatever it is. I want you just in a minute, I want you just to think about how can I praise Him? in such a way that I'll be describing the attributes and the ability of God. Does everybody understand me? Yes. You know, God has got attributes. So God, you are powerful. But now, how do I step that down into my life? Lord, your word says that you are not deaf. Your word says your arm is not shortened that you cannot save. Lord, your word says, Jesus said, if I take care of the sparrows, how much more you? You've numbered the very hairs on my head. Lord Jesus, I thank you that if you take care of the birds and they don't labor or spin, they don't toil, they don't have to go out and sow and plant and work, but every day they're eating food. Somewhere there is a provision for them. God, I give you the praise that there's a provision for me. There's a solution for me. There's an answer for me. Father, I praise you. I've prayed numerous occasions for my children, for my loved ones. I've prayed, I've prayed. I've left it into your capable hands. God, I want to thank you. You've never forgotten one prayer I prayed. And Lord, I praise you for your ability and your power to change hearts, to change lives, to encounter them. And praise him. I want it to be praise specific to your situation. Would you do that? Has everybody got the instruction? So I'm going to just connect it to right at the beginning of the meeting. Right at the beginning. Right at the beginning of the meeting, God said to me, a lot of stuff is not moving. Those applications, those petitions, they're not moving and it's not a faith thing and it's not a prayer thing. For now, it's I've made it a praise thing. Can you praise me even though when it's difficult? Can you praise me when it's tough? Can you praise me when you don't have the thing yet? Can you praise me? Amen? Can you praise me? It's a praise matter it's a praise issue quietly loudly however you want to do it just start to praise him not request not request yes. not asking Thank you. you don't say god i i ask you for praise you that no no i praise you that you will provide i praise you that you are the provider i praise you that you are baal perizim the god of breakthrough i praise you come on so let's just start praise you praise you for healing in my body praise you you're the healer praise you because jesus made every provision he said by your stripes by my stripes you are healed praise you i praise you lord this anxiety this this distress that i have this concern this worry about my future we're stepping out and god i'm, I'm concerned praise you that you will never leave me nor forsake me you said that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, I praise you that you, you're always with me. 
taking me by the hand, you lead me. You said, though I go through the waters, they don't overwhelm me. Praise because you said, though I go through the fire, the fire will not consume me. You said, even my clothing will not smell like the fire. Jesus, I praise you for your mighty power. Praise you for your great ability. Praise you for your great love. Lord, you said that nothing in all creation shall separate me from your love. Praise you. Praise you for your ability, Lord. Praise you. I praise you for the situation that I'm in. Praise you, Lord, because you said you will there prepare a table for me right in the presence of my enemies. Right in the, seeing the whites of the eyeballs. Seeing the provision of God. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You're my shepherd. I praise you, Lord, because you said I shall never be in lack. I shall never be in want. You make me lie down in green pastures. Lead me beside the quiet, in quiet paths, in good pastures, still streams. will not even fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God, I praise you that I can fear no evil because you taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I praise you, Lord, because you're not leading me to that evil place. I praise you because you are delivering me from all evil, from every snare of the enemy. God, you're a God of deliverance, delivering power. You're setting me free, setting me free. Praise you, praise you, praise you, Lord, praise you. I don't have a spirit of mourning, spirit of grief. I don't have to wear ashes anymore. Father, thank you. I praise you because you've made me the righteousness of God in Christ. I can stand and look in that full-length dress mirror and see a general for God. Oh, I praise you. How I praise you. How I magnify your name in the presence of my brethren. Oh, I magnify you. Be enthroned. Be enthroned in the praise of our people, your people, Lord. Be magnified. Be magnified. Be magnified. So I speak to you, speak to your spirit, speak to your minds. Declare on you that he's given you beauty instead of ashes. He's crowned you with glory. He's crowned you with honor. You wear on you the crown of his righteousness, which gives you power and authority. He's given you the oil of joy instead of mourning. And that oil of joy is an anointing that sets you above. It sets you in an above place. It puts you above others that are not anointed. It sets you into a place where the anointing can flow from you to others. The oil of joy be your portion instead of mourning and sorrow. And he has given you the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. He's given you an antidote for the spirit that is in the world and everything the world will try to minister. And I declare upon you such a spirit of praise, more than just the action of praise, a spirit of praise, spirit of joy, spirit of beauty where you will carry that and bring such fruitfulness to God. So may God bless you, increase you, progress you. May your roots be deep as you're planted by rivers of living water. May you prosper and progress in everything that you do. May your leaf not wither. May they be for the healing of the nations. May you be continuously fruitful as you're planted in the courts of God. That no drought, no dry times, no scorching heat shall ever burn you or burn your leaves or rob you of your fruit. But that you shall be continuing to bear fruit, being fruitful even in your old age. And you will be able to say to people, I am fat and flourishing in the courts of my life. And everybody say, Amen. Amen.